Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as anyone suggest. Happy Tuesday, hopefully guys. Enjoy your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching the Australian Open as well, watching the third, fourth rounds of the Australian Open. There is a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside the tennis world. I do want to discuss uh, Natasha Leggero uh, taking her top off at a show with Burke Kreischer. Uh, this happened, I would say, on Saturday night. Uh, Burke Kreischer was performing at the Improv in L.A. And obviously, as in classic Burke Kreischer fashion, decided to take his shirt off. And people were there enjoying it, laughing it up. And Natasha Leggero decided to also... Uh, uh, Bear it all, uh, as, 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 as they may say. Uh, honestly, I thought it was hilarious. I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was great. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's not much to really discuss about it, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just a little throwaway thing that happened. But honestly, I think it was hilarious. And yeah, that, that's about it. Um, there, there's more to the story. Uh, and we'll get into it later in the episode. But overall... Uh, that happened at the improv and I want I want to like break down the overall reactions that I've seen online uh, from individuals uh, to me personally I just thought it was a nice little story and that's all it really was but we'll, we'll sort of break it down later in the episode um, at the tail end of it we can also discuss UFC 297 uh, that occurred on Saturday and the or UFC two yeah UFC 297. UFC 297 or UFC 298? We'll we'll look into it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was UFC 297. Um, yeah, UFC 297. I don't know why I said UFC 298. Of, of course, UFC 297. But I do want to discuss UFC 297 that occurred on Saturday and how lackluster the card was. It was a horrendous main event card. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It was a horrendous main event card. I was literally trying to make sure my eyes were awake during the main event and in the second fight the co-main event as well the co-main event was horrendous it was one of the worst fights i think i ever saw on a main event card and i saw that rose namayunas fight that occurred a while back as well so this was a horrendous pay-per-view event and i also want to discuss in terms of the build-up to the to the pay-per-view uh sean strickland's comments on raising a gay son that sort of caught fire essentially uh, a reporter named alex lee decided to ask sean strickland about his thoughts about raising a gay son for some reason he decided to ask this in the middle of fight week and sean strickland just sort of went just snapped on him and it caught the internet by storm people were discussing it people were talking about it um you know, a lot of people uh, on the left were outraged at Sean Strickland's comments like, oh, my God, how could a UFC fighter who's been hit upside the head one too many times and has probably CTE could say such a thing? Easy, because he's a UFC fighter who's been hit upside the head too many times and has CTE. That's the main reason. But a lot of people on the right were very supportive of his comments. And for me personally, like when I heard his comments, I was n- neither on the left side or the right side. For me personally, when I heard those comments... I was very dismayed, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, yes, it's fine for people to speak up on certain issues and whatnot, but I think if you're two or three days away before the biggest fight of your life, 
to chime in on such a sensitive issue, I think that that is idiotic. You know, I think when you see that happen in real time, and obviously I'll get into it later in the episode, but this just shows you that it's important for UFC fighters to get PR trained. And to be asked about this two, three days before a fight, the focus should not be on those positions or those issues. The focus should be on the fight. And if I was Sean Strickland in, in this scenario or in this case, I would just focus on, hey, or I would just say, hey, I'm focused on the fight right now. I'm not focused on anything else. Right now, I'm trying to fight Drickus Duplessis. I'm seeing what's going to happen with that fight. And that's what the focus should be on. Not on other things, not on other issues. And I think that this comes on Dana and this comes on the UFC. The UFC needs to do a better job at making sure that, the, that their fighters are able to make sure that the fight stands out on its own. Because when you discuss issues like this that really don't make that much sense or issues that don't have that much weight in terms of what's being discussed or what's actually going to happen at the end of the week, then it takes away from your main event and it takes away from your whole, whole entire fight card. And as a result, on a Monday morning, which I, or not Monday morning, but on a Monday where I'm discussing this, instead of focusing on the actual pay-per-view card, we're actually discussing things that happened last week and the build-up to this pay-per-view card. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into it later, but overall, those are my thoughts on it. We'll get into the whole card later, and I'll get back into the spiel of things later in the episode. But first, let's talk about the Australian Open. Um, so if you guys didn't watch, there have been a handful of matches that have occurred. Um, there was a match between with Carlos Alcaraz, in which Carlos Alcaraz is now in the quarterfinal, which is a shocker to everybody. Um, Daniel Medvedev also in the quarterfinal. Novak Djokovic was able to beat Adrian Monorino in straight sets, six love, six love, six three. Uh, he was able to bagel him in the first two sets, and then in the third set, when Monorino got on the board, he got raptures of applause, and people were, you know, jumping for joy. And then Novak Djokovic decided to shun the crowd and shush the crowd and get control back. And when that happened. It caught the internet by storm. People were absolutely upset and riled up at Novak Djokovic for doing that, for trying to shush the crowd. And all I got to say is I thought it was hilarious by Novak Djokovic. Um, I feel like people take things way too seriously, especially when it comes to covering tennis. Um, you know, people are saying, oh, Federer and Nadal would never do this, or this is why, you know, Novak Djokovic is such a sore loser. It's like at the end of the day, you're watching one of the best tennis players to ever play, perform at the Ocean Open two years after not being able to play because of the vaccine. Enjoy while you still can, all right? Enjoy these tennis players while you still can. There's no reason to be this riled up, this upset about it. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was so dumb to really discuss, to, to, to really think about, or to really give any time of your day to. I mean, I, I just think there's so many other things that we can talk about in tennis. There's so many other storylines that are important. Um, but yeah, that happened on Saturday night. Uh, it happened simultaneously alongside UFC 297, which I thought, uh, I, I was going back and forth between that and UFC 297, as well as the fight companion that Joe Rogan 
upload it, uh, decided to stream live on his YouTube channel for, I was just alternating between all three windows on, on my computer. I'm like, okay, I got to focus which one to, to go on. Uh, but overall, great win for Novak Djokovic, and now he's scheduled to play in the quarterfinal today. Uh, but there was another match that also caught my mind and also got my attention, which was Zara versus Nori, uh, which also happened on earlier today uh, at around like 12, 10 a.m. Um, I was able to catch this match. Um, obviously, I don't have the notes with me right. I mean, obviously, I don't have like a set, like a game by game breakdown of each set in this match. Like, I don't um, because obviously it's a fourth round match and this happened way too late. I mean, that's noted and that's usually the case for all uh, Australian Open matches. But uh, I was able to watch this match, and I'll just give you my brief overall thoughts on it. So if you guys haven't watched it, uh, Sasha Zverev beat Cameron Nori in this fourth round match. 7-5-3-6-6-3-4-6-7-6-10-3 was the tiebreaker in that fifth and final set. Obviously, it goes to 10 instead of going up to 7 um, because it's a fifth set tiebreaker. But overall, this was a really good match. I really I enjoyed my time while watching this match, um, mainly because I felt it was a Zverev had a different game plan. And I've noticed a change in Zverev since coming back from his injury uh, that he sustained a while back. Uh, I think back in the French Open with Nadal, not this past uh, French Open, but the the year before. I've noticed a change in Zverev's play. And the focus has always, or the focus has now shifted into trying to be a little bit more of a serve bot. I hate to use that word, but it is what it is. Focusing on getting winners from his forehand, staying at the baseline, committing to long rallies. I mean, there are times in this match where Zverev was just doing 15, 20-shot rallies, which is not necessarily the case that we would see from Zverev beforehand um, to this extent. Um, You know, 15, 20-shot rallies... Uh, mostly focused on his forehand, sometimes on his backhand, but not too overly reliant on his backhand. Um, that was sort of what we expect. That's what we expected and what we got from this match with Zverev. Um, in that first set, I mean, the fact that he's able to break Nori at 6-5 to make it 6-5, I think it really set up the tempo for that match for Zverev. And, and again, like when you see the, the score line of Zverev, I mean... The wins that you would get in this in this match, you know, seven five, six three, seven six. You knew, or you knew, or you know that I don't I don't know which variation of new versus no you would use in this instance, but you knew based off of that scoreline that it would be a close match. Um, and the fact that he was able to break Nori at six five in that first set was very critical. Um, he did a really great job at making sure that Nori made mistakes, that he got a lot of unforced errors. We would see a lot of unforced errors in that tiebreaker in that fifth set as well. Um, and he was really able to keep momentum in this match throughout the entirety of this match. He was, he, he was really able to keep Nori on his toes. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what allowed Zverev to really be able to get past this match. And I think in a lot of ways, this was one of the tougher tougher matches for Zverev so far at the Australian Open. And a lot of it has to do with the mentality and the fortitude of Cameron Nori. I know Zverev won this match, right? And it's very easy to 
pinpoint and to applaud the 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 positive contributions that Zero made in this match. But on the flip side to it, you know, Cameron Norrie also made a lot of progressive strides in this match. And I think in a lot of ways, while this wasn't necessarily the ideal result for Cameron Norrie, he definitely did expose Sasha Zverev in this match. Uh, make no twoies about it. I think Zverev and Alcaraz are playing in the next round, in the quarterfinal round, which is uh, set to happen on Tuesday. So if that does happen, um, or when that does happen, I think Alcaraz will be able to beat Zverev. I don't think it will be an easy match. I think it will be a best—I think it will go to four sets, maybe even five sets. Uh, I don't think it will go to five sets, but I definitely do think it will go to four sets. And I definitely do think that Alcaraz will beat Zverev. And part of it is because of the mistakes in, uh, that Zverev made in this match. When you look at the second set and the fourth set in particular, there were a handful of mistakes that Zverev made in that second and fourth set. Um, you know, that, that break by Nori in 5-3 in the second, uh, where Nori's forehand just went off the net, off the tape of the net, and essentially broke... Zverev in that, or essentially won that game against Zverev to get that set. You know, you really saw a change within Nori's style of play, and you know, even before then, there were times and mistakes of of Zverev where they were just un- they were just hard to go unnoticed. Um, there were m- mistakes made mostly on a second serve. I think his second serve percentage was not that great. I think it was like forty four percent to. Uh, Nori's 70, I think his win percentage was that, 44% to Nori's 70%, which was a startling statistic, to to say the least. Um, But, I mean, in that second and fourth set, there were mistakes on on Zero's part. I mean, his backhands were an issue. Um, Nori did really well in terms of the drop shot. Uh, He was really able to utilize that drop shot when need be and get Zverev on his toes and on his feet. And I think for a lot of taller tennis players especially with zero since he's like six four six five i'm pretty sure he's six four six five uh he might be even taller to be honest with you um but i've noticed with a lot of the taller tennis players they're not that agile on their feet you know they're not able to be quick on their feet and retreat and retrieve drop shots when need be um usually in long rallies it's very easy to pull off a drop shot and get them flustered because of that and I'm afraid, or not afraid, but I'm, I'm assuming that Alcaraz will re- rely on that vehemently throughout the entirety of their match. And when that does happen, it will affect the psyche, the mentality, and the style of play that we'll see from Zverev in that match. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously a prediction that anybody can make. Uh, I'm not the only guy that would make that prediction. Um, but I do definitely think that that will be a common commonality for Zverev for Alcaraz to do in his match with Zverev. And he'll see the tape from this match if if he does watch this match, and he'll think to himself, wow, this person is can be easily beatable when given a situation that he knows he cannot go by through his height or through his bombastic first serves and amazing forehands. There are ways to beat Zverev, and I think most of it relies heavily on the use and the implementation of the drop shot. And I think if if Alcaraz can if Alcaraz can do that in, in his match against Zverev, I think the match will end sooner than expected. Um, but yeah, second, fourth set. I mean, obviously Nori was able to beat 
uh, Zverev. And part of it was because of the fact that he was able to break early. Uh, not break early, but break in the match. Uh, break in those sets. And, and just get Zverev uncomfortable. Uh, now, Nori did make mistakes in this match. Especially in that fifth set. Uh, I think Nori missed back-to-back drop shots at that fifth set. Uh, tie break. Uh, that caught him back. And as a result, uh, Zverev was just able to extend that lead. Um, and again, he was able to beat Nori quite single-handedly in that fifth set tiebreaker. I mean, that fifth set tiebreaker was just all uh, Zverev from the get-go. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, there are missteps within Zverev's game. And if anything... Well, this was a good win for Zverev. I mean, no, make no two mistakes about it. Make no two ways about it. This was a good win for Zverev. If anything, this somewhat exposed his style of play and in ways that we haven't seen before in this match. And if Alcaraz is smart, which he is, if Alcaraz is smart, he'll look back in this match and think, okay, there, there, there is a way to beat Zverev. And if you're able to do it through the use of drop shots, if you're able to do it through certain elements of surprise, you know, incorporating the lob, making sure that um, he is completely flustered and out of sorts and doesn't know what to do in long rallies, then that is a way of beating him. You know, use his height and his lankiness to his disadvantage. And I, I think in a lot of ways, if, if Alcross is able to do that, then that is, that will be very great for him. Um, there are times where, you know, Zvera will just go for, like, full body serve. So if Alcross can, like, stay a little bit behind the baseline when, when returning serve, I think that will also be really good. Um, but again, those are just small things that he'll sort of incorporate at the end or throughout this entire match when that match inevitably does occur tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, it was a nice match. Uh, a little too long, I'm not going to lie, especially here in the States. I mean, I think the match clocked in at nearly over four hours long. So it's a, it's a little too long. Um, I, I don't know how anybody in the U.S. who doesn't really follow or cover tennis is able to watch these matches when they occur at that time. I, I just don't know. I mean, who are these matches marketed to? I want to know that. I really do. Um, obviously, there's a difference between a match like this and the final, where obviously the final... Gets a little bit more traction, a little bit more eyeballs on the on the sport, but um, yeah, I, I I really wonder who in America can follow tennis. I mean, if you're on the West Coast, sure that makes sense, right? If you're in Cali and there's a three hour time difference and you're watching it at nine a.m. and you, and you can go to sleep at you know one a.m. or two a.m., then sure, fine, that's that's all fine and dandy. But if you're in the East Coast, like I am. That, that, that's an issue. So uh, if you are on the East Coast of the United States and you're sincerely watching these matches on a day-to-day basis, uh, let me know how you do it. Uh, like, do you just have like a, like a, a crap of coffee like right beside you? Because I drank a Celsius the other day in preparation to watch this match and it did not go as well as I would and like it to go. Um, so... What's your methodology? I really want to know. I mean, I, I mean, forget about the match. Like, how how are you able to watch these matches occur at that late of a time, right? Like, how are you able to do that? Um, 
So let me know down below uh, in the comment section down below, like how are you able to watch these matches at that late of time if you're in America and you're watching these matches at like 12 a.m., 1 a.m., 3 a.m.? Let me know down below because um, I, I really need your insight. Um, if you say Adderall, then uh, that would make sense. I don't do Adderall, so um, my apologies, but that's not a suggestion that I will I will do. Um, um, so yeah. Yeah, that's overall my, my overall thoughts on the match. Let me know down below about how you felt about the Zareb Nori match. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll move on from there. Um, hopefully the new hairstyle is not like intimidating or offsetting you or off-putting to you. Uh, obviously, the last two episodes I put on like a Bruins hat on. Um, but I'm just doing a little bit of a change of a hairstyle, seeing what's happening. Um, I'm, I'm kind of growing up the hair. I'll see what happens with it. Um, if I don't like it, then obviously I'll cut it. Uh, there was a time in the, on the podcast, I think like a little over like a year or two ago, uh, where I grew up the stash and then that lasts for like an entire week. And I'm like, okay, never again. It just did not look well on me, especially with the horrendous lighting that I had back in the day. I'm like, this stash has got to go. It's not good. Um, I look like I'm like scouting for like young talent at elementary schools, you know, it's not a good look. So I had to shave it off. Uh, but I'm just growing, growing it out, seeing what's happening with it, you know, grow it out. I know I, I, I'm giving a little bit of a Zach Braff kind of vibe, a Garden State Zach Braff kind of vibe. I don't know if if you guys can see the, the comparison or the similarities between me and Braff from Garden State, but trying to go for that kind of, I mean, not, not go for that look, but, you know, it kind of bears a resemblance to it. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, overall, it's okay. Uh, it's not the best hairstyle ever. I kind of prefer the more like clean cut look that I had before, but uh, yeah, this is giving like Shaggy from Scooby Doo vibes. But, anyways, let's get into our next topic before I. Uh, cannibalize myself on 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 camera uh anyways uh let's get into ufc 297 so ufc 297 happened on saturday at scotia bank arena in toronto and overall it was a horrendous pay-per-view event uh pay-per-view card that main event card was absolutely bonkers and did not need to happen the the prelims were good i'm not gonna lie the prelims were pretty good the audience was very stoked about it they were heading into the main event card like amped up energetic I think there were a few uh, fuck Trudeau chants that were happening somewhere in the prelims or early prelims. And I'm like, okay, like, that's crazy. All right, they're they're amped up, I guess. I mean, I don't know that much about Trudeau's policy, so I'm not going to talk about it. And also, I'm an, Amer I'm an American. I don't really want to follow Canadian politics. I don't really care about Canadian politics. So my apologies on that. I know Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race. So I'll probably cover it on the next episode because I just don't want to really talk about politics in this episode. It's just too much, you know. I mean, I'm it's just too much for me, you know. I mean, there's so much there's so much politics being discussed discussed online in the world. I'm like, I don't I don't want to do it now, you know. I just don't want to do it now. I don't I'm not in the mood to really talk about it in in a descriptive way, you know. So uh, I'll just stick with sports for, for today, Natasha Legero. <laughs> but um, 
Overall, UFC 297 happened. Four out of the five matches on the main event card went to judge a scorecard, which is not a good look for the sport. Not a good look for the sport whatsoever. I was listening to Joe Rogan's Fight Companion while watching these fights, and I nearly fell asleep when that co-main event happened. I mean, that was one of the worst women's fights I've ever seen up there with, I would say, uh, the Rose Namajunas fight that we had to bear witness to. But it was between Raquel, Raquel Pennington and Myra Bueno Silva. Uh, heading into this fight, I'm like, okay, Myra ben- Bueno Silva, she seems like a pretty nice person. I mean, I saw her, you know, chanting her name with Bruce Buffer in the octagon, you know, heading into the fight. I'm like, okay, this seems like a likable person. And then the thing, and then the match happens, the fight happens, and then she's on her back the entire time. She, they're literally at the cage, you know. She's trying to go for a takedown. It's not working. They're really just stalling time at the cage. Uh, just a lack of aggressiveness by both fighters. Just so much passiveness between these two fighters. Where I'm like, this is just not necessary. This is just not needed. Um, yeah, horrendous, horrendous fight right there. That main event was horrendous. Uh, but then we had to witness the last fight of the card, which was for the middleweight championship. Uh, Drickus Duplessis fought Sean Strickland and beat Sean Strickland via judges' scorecard. Uh, it was through split decision as it won 47-48 Strickland, 48-47 Drickus Duplessis, and 48-47 to... Drickus Duplessis, as Drickus Duplessis would win uh, the middleweight championship and take the title off of Sean Strickland's belt, uh, off of Sean Strickland's waist. Uh, it is weird to see uh, a title change via judge's scorecard. Usually it goes in the champion's favor, but you could definitely make the case that Drickus Duplessis won. Um, you know, I mean, I had a 2, 3, and 4 all Drickus Duplessis. Um, I thought Drickus Duplessis had some great takedowns. Uh, yes, Sean Strickland did really well in terms of significant strikes. Uh, he did really well in the stand-up game of things. But when it came to the takedowns, when it came to uh, grappling, when it came to being able to do well while being on the mats, uh, it was definitely Drix Duplessis. And that, there, was, there was not even a competition in that. It was mostly Drix Duplessis throughout this entire fight. And I could definitely see why the OC... And why the judges made Drickus Duplessis won win, because um, he just had the better fight. I thought he he did better on the ground game. I thought he did great when it came to takedowns. And while the the average fan may not like it, and don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of takedowns and 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 the sort of BJJ style of, of MMA and and the focus on the ground game. Uh, you can't deny that that has a significant importance in terms of weighing a decision. Um, so, again, it's 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 not something that people necessarily defend or, or sort of support or gravitate towards, but you can't deny the importance of it. So, I mean, I understand why Drogas Duplessis won. Um, but yeah, overall, just a horrendous fight card. I mean, I think... One of the better fights of this fight car was the Neil Magny Mike Mallet fight because that happened in like the final fifteen seconds of the of the fight, uh, in in round three, in the in the third and final round. 
which Neil Magny just completely just destroyed Mike Mallett at the end of it. Uh, it was mostly going Mike Mallett's way. Like if that went to judge a scorecard, if that went to a decision, it would definitely go to Mike Mallett. Uh, but Neil Magny just came out of nowhere and just uh, just laid those punches down on Mike Mike Mallett. And it was just a sight to watch. But the other two fights were just horrendous as well. Uh, it was either split or unanimous decision, and it was just bad. Um, yeah, overall, just not a good fight card. I, I definitely don't think that this helped at all. I mean, the the crowd was red hot heading into that main event card. And then overall, it just deflated so much. The vibes in that room were just off tremendously as the fights went on as the night went on as the night rolled on and honestly it was just not a good pay-per-view it was just not a good pay-per-view and a lot of people want to discuss the alex lee questions that he gave to sean strickland early earlier in the week and if you guys don't know i think i alluded to it in my overview of the topics being discussed today but uh, if you guys don't know, Alex Lee interviewed, or not interviewed, but asked questions to Sean, Sean Strickland in a press conference and, or in a pre-fight interview two or three days before the fight happened, in which he talks about Sean Strickland's comments on gay people, um, about how he would never raise a gay son, and, and just these overall views on the LGBTQ community that were a little bit suspect, to say the least. And... Alex, we decided to press him on these issues uh, two, three days before the fight. And Sean Strickland sort of was antagonistic to Sean, uh, to Alex Lee. Uh, he was very combative with Alex Lee. Um, you know, called him several names in the book, uh, said he's everything that's wrong with America. His words not mine or with this country today. Um, and overall, it was just not a good look for the sport. And a lot of people on the left were mad, saying that ESPN should censor Alex, uh, should censor Sean Strickland for his comments on gay people or raising a gay person. Uh, people on the right were openly supportive of Sean Strickland, which was also really weird to say the least. Uh, overall, my thoughts on it are: I think it's weird for fighters who have CTE to be commenting on political issues or commentating on political issues, I find it really weird. Uh, because again, I don't think that they're the best representatives for either political party or for any political ideology for, for that matter. I, I just think if y you are a reporter and you're interviewing a fighter, you should probably just stick to the fight that's at hand. And that's what the reporter should have done. Uh, should have just stuck with asking about the fight. Uh, but on the flip side to it, I think with Sean Strickland, this... What it really boils down to is the fact that these fighters should be PR trained. Why are you chiming in on these issues two, three days before the biggest fight of your life? There's so much money to be made. There's so much growth and investment to be made out of this fight. And to be discussing these issues two, three days before the, before the biggest fight of your life, before the, the first title offense that you have after defeating arguably one of the biggest names in the UFC and in the MMA world of all time, which is Israel Adesanya, to be commentating on these issues two, three days before the fight, I think that is idiotic to say the least. You know, so there's a lot of things that we can really discuss about this topic and, and about what happened and what transpired. But overall, Dana and the UFC need to do a better job at PR training these athletes. 
Like, this is not a good look. Like, this is why nobody takes the sport of UFC seriously. And nobody should. Nobody should take the sport seriously. Like, like I'm being very honest here. Like, when I see two grown men rolling in a, on a mat on a Saturday night, literally just gorilla effing each other on the mat, I'm like, yeah, nobody should take the sport seriously. When I see four out of the five fights on this card go to judges' scorecard, I'm like, yeah, nobody should take this sport seriously. You don't have a clear winner in any of these fights. No clear winner. I mean, I understand that these are, these are the rules and, you know, the state athletic commissions and all that, you know, set these rules up. But still, just not a good look. It was just not a good look. And again, this, again, as I mentioned before, this is why nobody takes the sport of UFC seriously. This is why nobody takes the sport of MMA seriously. Because you have idiots like this, like Sean Strickland, who are representatives of your sport and do a horrendous job at representing your sport. <laughs> like, they do a horrendous job at representing your sport. And again, I'm not a guy that is is quick to censor other people. I, I don't want to do that, right? If he has these questionable views on gay people, then so be it right if that's the case then so be it like i'm not going to hate on him for doing that and again i don't look at athletes to be the be all end all for political opinions and i'm not basing my political opinions based off what some you know cte riddle fighter has to say about it who will inevitably you know eat out of a straw 10 15 years from now i'm not focused on that and i don't think anybody should be and if your politics are swayed by that reevaluate your entire life right but what I will say is I think Dana White and I think the UFC have done a, a, a horrendous job at making sure that these fighters are PR trained, right? Regardless of what sport you're in, whether it's the NHL, uh, whether it's at the NBA, NFL, MLB, they all make sure that their athletes understand the importance of putting the game and their sport above everything else. Head and, shoulder, head and shoulders above everything else and making sure that the priority is always about the games that they're playing, about the sport that they're playing. You know, when these questions are being asked to those athletes, these athletes usually do a great job at deflecting the answer and say, hey, I'm just focused on what's ahead of me and I'm focused on the games that are ahead of me and focused on maintaining my my cordiality and, and, and my camaraderie with my fellow teammates and making sure that we're able to win these games and in the, these must-win situations. And they do a great job at deflecting from these from these situations. I mean, when Tom Brady was asked about that MAGA hat in his locker room, he did a great job at deflecting and say, hey, like this guy was a personal friend of mine. We fell out of touch, but you know, I'm not a support. I'm not a member of this movement. I'm just focused on winning football games and doing what's right for the team. And he handled it, handled it with the utmost grace and with the utmost focus on making sure that the focus was on football. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what Strickland should do. And that's what UFC fighters should do. Um, again, I, I just think it's so weird for people to base their political opinions on these UFC fighters who are gonna eventually have to eat out of a straw, you know, or sip sip their food out of a straw. I, I just think it's weird to do that. You know, um, Dana White was asked about this uh, interview that Strickland did earlier uh, in the week in his post UFC 297 presser, uh, in which he said, hey, it's freedom of speech, you know, people can say whatever they want. And again, I, I don't hate on that, right? I mean, obviously, um, 
if if you have questionable views on gay people and you want to say that in your in a press conference or in an interview, then so be it, right? Um, Dana mentioned that his co-main event featured two gay women, and hey, that that is what it is. That's great. Um, but I think when it comes to freedom of speech and and Dana White being a proponent of that, I don't think he's he does a great job at doing that. You know, I really don't think that he does a great job at being a proponent of being a for free speech. I just don't think so. I mean, if that's the case, then why are there times where fighters will mention pro-Palestine sentiment in their post-fight interviews and they get censored because of it? You know, if that's the case, if you're so pro-freedom of speech and pro-anti-censorship, then why are fighters being censored about, you know, what they can and cannot say about what's happening in the Middle East? You know, if you're so anti-censorship, then why is it that whenever a fighter mentions the lack of fighter pay that they're getting or the lack of or the inability to get health insurance why is it that these stories go hush hush and not really discuss you know if that if you're so anti-censorship then why is your entire press conference filled with people that just suck you off until you're dry you know <laughs> if you're so anti-censorship then why is it that when news comes to light of UFC fighters that are on the card who work day jobs, essentially, why is it that these stories go unnoticed or these stories rarely get into, into the swing of things or really rarely ever, if ever, uh, get mentioned? You know, I think it's very easy to be that be, to say that you're anti-censorship and, and to portray that image and that facade while doing the complete opposite. And I think we've seen that time and time again from people in that position. You know, and this is not just a Dana White thing. I think this is just a human thing. I think I think it's anybody who who, who says that, and, and don't get me wrong, there are a few people that do say that and do live by that, right? I think that there are exceptions to that rule. But whenever I hear that, oh, it's freedom of speech and it, you know, it's it's you know, I I'm I'm all for anti censorship. Um and all that, you know, usually there is a messy track record with that as well uh, that people don't really mention. Um, so overall, I think that this week has been a rather horrendous week for the UFC. Uh, I, I wouldn't say horrendous week, but definitely a bad PR PR hit for the UFC. Um, Strickland, I thought, was a horrendous ambassador for the sport of MMA. I, I personally, in my opinion, uh, I'm. And in a lot of ways, I'm. It's 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 a good thing that he lost because I don't think it would be a good look for the UFC to continue having him be the champion. I just don't think so. Um, people may hate me for saying that. I don't care. I, I really do not care. I, I, there are friends of mine who are fans of Sean Strickland, and and that's fine. Right? I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think when you go from Israel Adesanya, a guy who understood how to market himself you know a guy who would have these amazing entrances entrances to the octagon you know cut these amazing promos be a great trash talker you know connect with the youth you know have an interest in anime you know have these amazing you know hype videos and montages that he would release on his instagram and tiktok to go from all of that you know and to the fact that he was nigerian and that you know he got that demographic of people to be interested in watching the UFC, you know, to go from that to Strickland is absolutely mind-boggling. And honestly, after seeing that fight between Drickus Duplassi and Sean Strickland, I'm like, 
Stylebender is, is not out of this picture. He's, he can still contend for that championship belt. I don't know if he'll still do as well as he once did because once you have that much tape on you, it's very easy to dissect your moves and to to get the better of you. I mean, there's just so much tape on Stylebender. He's had so many title defenses and 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 and, and all of that that I think it's it's easy to sort of pick him apart if you're an established UFC fighter. But after seeing that fight between Strickland and Duplessis, I'm like, hey, there's still a window of opportunity for for Stylebender to come back and to win this title belt. So, I mean, if they run this fight a second time, then so be it. I mean, I I don't know how anybody could watch that fight a second time. I mean, if I mean, you got to be a complete nerd uh, to watch that fight a second time. Uh, but if they do do a rematch, then uh, I am anticipating uh, Duplessis to win again. But again, don't discount Stylebender. Do not dis- uh, discount Adesanya. I think he, there's still enough room for him to make a viable run in this division uh, because this division is just wide open. There's so much parity within the middleweight division. And I say this as a guy that does not really watch UFC in, in terms of like a consistent way. I, I'm very casual when it comes to the UFC. Um, yeah, I, I'm just a casual, complete casual. Um, but yeah, I, I know when... There, when when there's a bad PR job when I see one. And this it screams bad PR job. That entire week, I think, was horrendous. Was a horrendous look for Sean Strickland. And yeah, I'm sure oh, there's a lot of people on the ride that are, you know, beating to Sean Strickland's drum and being a supporter of what he's doing and what he's saying. And, and you know, I, you see all the likes and favorites and all the people that are mad in Ariel Helwani's comment section and, and Beige Frequency's comment section saying, oh, you know, th- this shouldn't have happened or, or, oh, why are you hating so much on Sean Strickland? But, I mean, it's hard to n- not notice that. It's hard to not unnotice or it's hard to not... Whatever, whatever the term is, it's hard for me to not notice that, you know. And I don't know. I just, I just think that this week has been that, that fight card was just horrendous. I mean, the prelims were good. I mean, you did see some results, some finishes, and you know, overall, I thought that was very nice. But oh, I, I just thought that the entire main event card of this pay per view was just lackluster. I just thought it was, it, it did not fit expectations and yeah i mean i just think in a lot of ways that hopefully you've seen 298 is good hopefully ufc 300 is one of the better pay-per-views of the year i don't know if it will um i think they're they're trying to lean into a conor mcgregor comeback which i mean yeah i mean i'm sure he gets ratings i'm sure he gets numbers but I, I mean, besides that one against, um, who's that guy in 2018? I, I think it was, he was the guy that Stephen A. Smith made fun of in his, uh, hang, uh, not, no, well, who was that journeyman in the UFC that Stephen A. made fun of? I don't know his name, but after that win in 2018 where uh, McGregor pieced him up in like less than a minute, um, it hasn't really been that good for McGregor. Like, let, let's, let's, let's be honest here. It hasn't really been... Uh, it hasn't really been good for McGregor in the UFC. So I don't know if I want to see UFC. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to see McGregor in the UFC in 2024. I just don't know. I think he's been in the old guard. 
Um, it would be great to see Brock Lesnar back in the UFC. I don't know if he would uh, because, you know, the WWE money is pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would love to see um, I'll come back. You know, I would love to see, uh, you know, GSP back in it. You know, I don't know if GSP would really come back out of retirement for UFC 300. His back's got to be pretty good. And I don't know if Dana White's willing to give a bag to GSP, you know. But a boy can dream, you know. Um I mean, maybe Habib, Khabib, if he comes out of retirement. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm not the biggest Khabib Nurmagomedov fan. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, a lot of people include him in, like, the top four of all time when it comes to the UFC. I don't know what people are on when they say that. I mean, if I had to make my own top four of the UFC, it'd probably be uh, GSP, Anderson Silva, uh, John Jones. And um, I know it's there's recency bias to it, but I'll probably put Stylebender in there as well. I know it's that's a weird top four and that's a weird Mount Rushmore, but that's my particular Mount Rushmore. If you have a different one, then so be it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what was I going off about? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I was I was going off about. But anyways, what I will say is, um, I don't know what's going to happen for UFC 300. I just don't know. I, I don't think I don't think that this has been a good look for the UFC, and. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, I think the UFC right now is the MMA in, in, in general is a joke of a sport. It's viewed as a joke of a sport and moments like these show you why. Right. Like these are the same people that say take politics out of sports, but then they're the first ones to put politics in sports. Right. I find that a little weird. Right, like if you're so vehemently against politics and sports, then why are you trying to add like a Republican angle to this sport? It makes very little sense to it, you know. And I'd say the same thing if it was like a liberal lens to it, right? If if there were if there was if there was like a moment where they were just if Dana White was just arm in arm with Bill Clinton, and you saw Sean Strickland out there, you know, wearing. You know, a trans a trans flag. I mean, not that he would ever do that, but uh, just putting that out there, I would also be like, okay, that's also weird. Why are you trying to put that out into the ether? I just find it weird when when there's a clash between sports and politics. You know, um, but again, what do I know? So those are my thoughts on that. Uh, let's let's get into the last topic for today. This is going to be a quickie one, a quick one uh, before we get into the weekly pick. Uh, Natasha Legero decided to bear it all. Uh, on a show uh, featuring Burke Kreischer. So Natasha Logero was at the Improv on Saturday night, I would say. Uh, she followed Burke Kreischer. Burke Kreischer was up on stage. Uh, Burke Kreischer was obviously shirtless, as he always is, um, because that's that's his joke. Uh, but Burke Kreischer performed at the Improv and introduced Natasha Logero. Obviously, in, in L.A., it's quite different than, uh, say, other comedy, comedy scenes out there. Uh, when you're in LA, usually they do like a shotgun style where each comic introduces the next comic. So there's not really a host per se, but uh, each comic, once they're done with their set, introduces the ne- introduces the next comic. Uh, I don't think Burke Crusher knew any of uh, Natasha Legero's credits, so Burke Crusher just said uh, she is one of the funnest funniest comedians he knows, and is jealous of her husband because of how funny she is, which is. Uh, hilarious because i don't think burke crusher would put natasha Leggero on tour with him i don't think so like 
when I think about Burke Kreischer and the tours that he puts on, it's usually with like Maddie Smith or, you know, um, Rosebud Baker, Matthew Broussard, Shane Gillis, Mark Norman, Big J. Okerson. When I think about the fully loaded tour, those are the comedians that come to mind. You know, I think about Kelsey Cook and Ch- Chad Daniels. I don't think he's ever put Natasha Leggero on the fully loaded, loaded tour or on any tour that he's ever done uh, because they represent very two different comedic styles. I think Natasha Leggero, I don't think she's like necessarily like an alt comic per se, but she's definitely in that scene or adjacent to that scene. Burke Kreischer is a full-on, you know, club comic, you know, redneck audience whatever it may be whatever it may be um but he is a part of that tribe and, and that sort of uh subculture while natasha is in a complete different subculture uh but natasha Zero followed the kreischer and decided to bear it all <laughs> she decided uh she went up on stage while you know uh dr dre still dre was playing in the background and decided to take her jacket overall shirt off and pull up her kreischer um and honestly, I thought it was hilarious. I, th- I thought it was great, honestly. I thought it was funny. Uh, you can see Burke Kreischer just laughing in the back, which obviously a nice touch to it. Uh, but Natasha Leggero actually posted this to Instagram, uh, obviously with, you know, everything censored, saying, uh, Burke took his shirt off, so I did too. Improv said not to post, but TMZ already did it, so F it. Should female comics be able to do the same things as male comics? Because I've also been thinking about trying to fuck my opener. <laughs> That's so that's great. I mean, there's not much to really talk about with this topic. Uh, but I what I will say is, hey, it's nice to see uh, someone do it. Um, obviously, I do think that there is double standard when it comes to what male, what, what male comics can do and what female comics can do. Uh, but what I also will say is, all right, so now that he did this, how are you going to follow this up? You know, you got to make sure that you release a joke on Instagram that proves that you are just as funny as the male comics that, you know, you make fun of, right? If if you're going to do this stunt, and hey, it got eyeballs, right? TMZ covered it, Page Six covered it, Daily Mail covered it, got people talking, you know, took the comedy world by storm, you know, people at open mics everywhere are, were taking glee in it, you know, everybody was discussing it, you know, they were Monday morning quarterbacking it, that's great. Um, but, you know, if that's the case, you know, then... Make sure you followed it up by showing people that you're also funny through your words as well. You know, that's also very important. You know, I'm, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, I'm just pointing it out. Hey, just an observation. Hey, that if you're going to do this, you know, why not, why not also post a joke that accompanies this by saying that you're also funny? Um, or that proves that you can make a crowd laugh as well through your words. And by the way, I like Natasha Leggero. Like, I think she's pretty funny. And... I have a very limited history with Natasha Zero in terms of like what I've known from from her. And like I've known her from her uh, web series Tubbin with Tosh back in the day, back when I was like a middle schooler, high schooler. Um, I know her from Good Talk with Jesselnick, but that's all I really know from her. I know her from End- Endless Honeymoon, that the podcast that she, that she does with Moshe Kasher. But nothing really through stand-up. Like, I've never really seeked her out through stand-up. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen uh, with that. Um, but, yeah, I think if I was Natasha, I-, I would just upload a clip of her Instagram of her stand-up as soon as possible. You know, strike while the iron is hot. You know, plug your tour dates. You know, plug your stand-up. You know, strike while the iron is hot. Make sure that people also understand that you're funny as well through your jokes. And entice newer viewers and fans to also watch your stand-up as well. Um, 
so yeah, that's about it when it comes to that. Overall, I thought it was a nice stunt. I thought it was a nice gig, nice gag. And uh, yeah, Natasha's great. So yeah, that's about it. Uh, that's about it for the topic. Uh, I don't know why I really discussed it, but uh, that's about it. So let's get into our weekly pick, shall we? So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoy, an album, sometimes a special, that I really enjoy, some, that I hope you guys will enjoy as well if you do uh, consume it. Uh, this week, in honor of its 19-year anniversary, I'm pretty sure 19 years, maybe 20, I think it's 19. Call me on 19 for now. Uh, but in honor of its 19-year anniversary, I am recommending the game's debut album documentary, The Documentary. This is a great album, and honestly, it really is a staple of West Coast hip-hop in the 2000s. Like, you cannot mention West Coast hip-hop in the 2000s without mentioning this album, Um this was originally started by 50 Cent. I think 50 Cent put on the game uh, through his uh, rap collective G-Unit. And um, he really took hip-hop by storm with his album. I mean, he had some of the, of the world's best producers on this album. Dr. Dre, Kanye, Just Blaze, Timberland. All, all tracks produced from these guys, as well as other individuals as well. And again, it's an album that you can still listen to to this day, and it's still great as it once was back when it was in 2005, uh, when it was released back in 2005. I mean, West Side Story, one of the hardest beats you'll ever hear, and a great way to start off the album. You know, I mean, even the way that he rides the beat is amazing. Uh, Dream, also a really good track, you know, produced by Kanye. Uh, the, the sampling in this track was amazing. The way that he's able to sort of ride off that beat as well, flow in and out with that beat, allow the beat to take over when need be. I mean, just amazing. His flows and rhyme schemes in this album were just off the off the charts. Uh, Hate It or Love It, obviously, is a standout track. I mean, 50 Cent, I mean, the storytelling in that track by, by 50 Cent is just amazing. And there's a reason why that track has so much replay value to this day. It's because of 50 Cent's verse on that track. On that, on that track. Uh, Put You on the Game. One of Timberland's most underrated beats, I would I would say, honestly. You cannot you cannot mention this album without mentioning the beats. And Putting You on the Game is amazing. It, it's such a great track. Like as soon as you listen to it, you're like you just want to you just want to echo the chorus of Timberland saying, "Let me put you on the game." You know, it's just such a great track. Uh, even We Ain't, the track that he, that he does with Eminem where he says M washed him on his own track. Great track. I love that track a lot. I mean, obviously the mixing and mastering of that track could be better, uh, but for what it, for what it was, it was amazing. Uh, the la- but there are issues with the album, and I will say, I th- I feel like the last three or four tracks, or the last three or four songs off this album, did not need to be on this album. Um, you could easily just trim it. I mean, on my on my YouTube Music app, uh, I deleted the last three or four tracks, so um, I, I just wasn't a big fan of those tracks, but. I mean, if you did enjoy that, that's completely fine. But um, yeah, this is just an amazing debut album. And it kind of stinks that none of the game's recent or later albums could ever match this album. In a lot of ways, this was his version of Turn on the Bright Lights. This was his version of The Blue Album. Um, This was his version of The Stone Roses. Um, And it kind of stinks when you see that. Um, Stone Roses' debut album, that is. kind of stinks when you think when you think about that but again you i mean this is one of those albums where even to this day it still bangs it's still a hard album and 
the tracks are just amazingly produced and the game just does a great job at writing the beats out in these in these tracks so definitely go listen to the documentary by the game it's a great album um and a, a really good time capsule of hip-hop back then i mean i was six years old when this album dropped so obviously i was not listening to this album right like back when i was a six-year-old in 2005 i'm the only albums that were really really played in my home were like you know the backstreet boys and and uh a little bit of justified by justin timberlake you know it was not uh you know gangster rap my mom would never allow that but still go let's do it it's a really really good album all right guys i think that's it for the podcast for today guys thank you so much for watching thanks thank you so much thank you so much for listening make sure you guys like subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below make sure you follow me on my instagram my twitter my tiktok uh make sure you subscribe to my podcast channel my podcast clips channel my stand-up channel all the links are down in the description box below um if you uh feel free to make sure you rate and review on apple Podcasts and spotify um i'm sorry if you hear some noise outside in the back my apologies uh they're currently demolishing something outside i don't know maybe it's my own home uh but make sure you rate and review on apple Podcasts, apple apple Podcasts and spotify uh, if you can give a five-star review on spotify that'll be greatly appreciated um i i do keep track of that so i do really appreciate it if you if you could do that um other than that, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I was talking about more about the quarterfinals uh, on Wednesday's pod, probably about Ron DeSantis dropping out of the race as well. And that's about it. So, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. I don't know why I, don't know why I mentioned Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'll see you guys on Thursday with the new pod dropping. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.